Now, I want you to hear me on this, and I'm going to repeat this throughout this message. There is absolutely, categorically, no movement in the Christian life apart from the exercise of faith. Zero. Zero. So when things seem to slow down in our spiritual lives, could it be that we are placing more emphasis on our efforts and not those of God? Do we have full confidence in His ability to lead us? Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher Crawford Lorenz. Today we'll continue in Crawford's series looking at what he calls the big rocks that we need to stand firmly upon. Join us. If you've recently discovered our program, here's some background. Our speaker currently leads a Christian leadership mentoring program called Beyond Our Generation. It's part of Crawford's over 50 years of ministry. He has served as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include For a Time We Cannot See, A Passionate Commitment, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Unshaken. The messages we feature each week on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Well, let's jump right into today's message. Crawford will review the big rocks he's discussed so far, and then we'll take a look at the role faith plays in a maturing Christian life. Our text is Hebrews chapter 11. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Uh, the first big rock that we talked about was unity. And I mentioned that unity is a huge, huge, big deal to God. It is a big deal to God. In fact, it is noteworthy that Jesus' prayer, the last recorded prayer that we have of Jesus, dominant in that prayer is his passionate plea to the Father for unity. And that we're not to live by our preferences, but we're to live by principles. And Christians need to be very careful that they don't let their preferences trespass their principles. The ultimate objective is principles. And if I can't walk away from my, from my preferences for the sake of unity, then something is desperately wrong with my Christianity. Unity is a big, big deal to God. The second big rock was identity. And Matt Farlow did a great job. Knowing who you are produces stability in your life. Knowing who we are in Christ, not brokering your identity from other people, from what this is, culture says you ought to think and believe and who you ought to be like and this kind of thing. What we bring to the dance of life and what we bring to our moment in history is our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are in him. And that identity gives us focus, it gives us stability, it gives us perspective, it carries us through. And the third big rock I talked about was experiencing God's power, that inside of us is the third person, person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's living inside of our hearts and lives. He's the third person of the Trinity. Now, he, he resides in us, get this, to control us and to transform us. It is a sad, sad reality, and I hate saying this, but it's, it's true, that the majority of Christians don't live a spirit-controlled life. Most of us don't even think about the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet, we struggle. And the reason why sometimes we're up and down in our walk with God, we're, you know, here one day, down the next, here today, down the next, here today, down the next, is because of a failure to appropriate the power of the Spirit of God that's living inside of us. And so today I want to talk about the fourth rock. The fourth rock, big rock, is faith. 
Now, I want you to hear me on this. And I'm going to repeat this throughout this message. There is absolutely, categorically, no movement, no advancement in the Christian life apart from exercising faith. I don't care how much you know, I don't care how much you talk about God, how correct your theology might be, how insightful you might be in this kind of thing. There is absolutely, categorically, no movement in the Christian life apart from the exercise of faith. Zero. Zero. I think, what, who was it? It was uh, Mark Twain that famously quipped, all you need in life is ignorance and confidence, and success is sure. <laughs> Nothing ever happens in life apart from confidence. You can't, you can't do anything. You won't be successful in anything if you don't have confidence. You've got to believe that you can do it. You've got to believe you have to have confidence in yourself. A little quick story, our youngest son, as many of you who have been around know, know uh, our youngest son, Brendan, was a, a, an amazing baseball player. When he was about 13 years old, I think Pony League State Tournament he was involved in, uh, Brendan pitched and played third base, and uh, Brendan didn't struggle confidence with confidence when he was playing ball. So this, this, this incident here is a little bit unusual. So we're on our way, we're in the car, me and Brendan, on our way to, to this state tournament, and uh, as we're driving, he uncharacteristically started all this self-doubt stuff. He starts saying, well, you know, and he was due to pitch that day, he said, well, Dad, you know, those who are playing today, they're really good, and uh, I don't know if we can pull this off, and I don't know if we can win, I don't know if we can do this, and I don't know if we can do this, and this kind of thing, and he's just going on and on and on, and in his head. So, so believe it or not, I pulled off the highway, pulled, pulled on the shoulder of the road, and I said, uh, son, the next exit, we're going to turn around and go back home. He said, why? He said, look, I'm not going to waste my time if you don't think you're going to win. <laughs> now, you might lose, but when you stand on that mound with that ball in your hand, you better believe you can win. Well, change his tune, but they still lost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing happens in life apart from confidence, right? Nothing. Well, this is not completely, it is true in one sense in the Bible, but it's not always true in life either, because you can have the greatest confidence in the world and things still not work out. In, this, in the scriptures, faith is not about having faith in faith. It's not about having faith in your abilities. It's not about having faith and confidence in the people around you. Faith in the Bible is always vertical. See, faith in the Bible has to do with the object. It, it is where you, it is who you place your confidence in. It's the object of that confidence that makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's the same old story. I mean, it's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament. It's a great illustration of that. The prophets of Baal and Elijah, they have this showdown, right? The prophets of Baal are worshiping this idol, Baal, and all this stuff. And, and so Elijah has this showdown, and, you know, he says, uh, okay, here's the deal. Uh, let's see what your God can do, and let's see what Yahweh can do, okay? So he makes this altar and this trench around it, and you know the story. He pours all this water and drenches it every place, and he says, the real God will send down fire from heaven and, and consume the altar, well, he says, you go first. And so the, you know, the prophets of Baal, they're, 
They're crying out to God. They're screaming. They're doing all this other kind of stuff. And Elijah was the, was the original trash talker in the Old Testament because while they're doing this stuff, Elijah said, ah, maybe your God's out for lunch. Maybe he's eating. And I kid you not, this is in the text. He, then he says next, he said, well, maybe, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. And uh, he's predisposed. So that, this takes hours, right? So what happens? Elijah prays. This quick prayer. Boom! God responds. What's the difference? The difference was the object of his faith. The difference was his God is alive. The difference was he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's immutable. The, the, the difference is God is real. So, Remember, faith in the Bible is not faith in what you want. Faith in the Bible is faith in what God wants. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. It's not faith in what you want. It's faith in what God wants. Now, having said that, let me summarize. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. But let me give you a summary statement about Hebrews chapter 11 in its entirety. The statement is this, as a follower of Christ, the power of your life and the power of your impact is a manifestation of your confidence in God. Your life and your impact is in direct proportion to the depth, degree, and consistency of your confidence in God. You can, you can talk all you want to about other things, but the measure of your significance, the measure of your impact, the measure of the difference you will have made with your life depends upon your confidence in God. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is really all about. The journey in life, the journey in life, the journey in life is not about using God to get done what you want to get done. This is why so many Christians get disappointed and disillusioned. Because they, they're operating from a false premise. The false premise is that God exists to help me to meet, to fulfill my dreams and to fulfill my desires and to fulfill my goals. And if that's what you think, you're going to be disappointed with God and you're going to be disappointed in life. God does not exist to help you to fulfill your dreams and your vision. You and I exist to fulfill God's dreams and God's vision through our lives. This is the reason why prosperity gospel is so empty and superficial. Because God, excuse the expression, will not be prostituted. God will not be manipulated. And God does not exist just merely to make us happy. We exist to glorify him. And you must understand faith in that construct. If not, if not, you're always going to be struggling with disappointment with God. When really the disappointment should be with your wrong expectations and the faulty premise by which we approach the Christian life. The writer of Hebrews makes three incredible statements in verses 1 through 6. And I argue 
I argue that the key to understanding the biographical snapshots that he gives, all these biographical snapshots that he gives throughout the book of Hebrews chapter 11, really are illustrations and visuals of these three statements that he makes in verses 1 through 6. They're illustrations and visuals of these three didactic, you might even say propositional statements that he makes in verses 1 through 6. The very first statement that he makes is this. Number one, faith is a confident reality of the future. Uh, I wrote a book a number of years ago entitled, uh, it was on faith, and, and, and entitled Unshaken. And what I say in the introduction of that book uh, is that uh, nowhere in the Bible will you ever find a definition of faith. Now what you find here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is a description of faith, but you don't find a definition of faith. Now, the closest I can come to a definition of faith and reading all these wonderful texts on faith in the Bible, these stories of people who believe God, Hebrews chapter 11, and these descriptive things, is that I, I go on to say now, although you can't find a definition there, let me give an open-handed definition of faith. Faith is simply God-confidence. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verses 1 and three is where you see this principle that faith is the confident reality of the future. Biblical faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. He says here in verse one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Technically, that's not a definition, that's a description. He's describing what faith is. It is, it is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I would argue, although the verse does not say this, as you read Hebrews chapter 11, you, you come to the understanding that faith is not something that just is in thin air, that I just, I have a desire, I'm believing God for, you know, that he'll give me uh, $5 million by Thursday afternoon. Now, I'm believing God that he's going to give me a Maserati on Saturday. Or I'm believing God that, you know, that's not biblical faith necessarily. As you read Hebrews chapter 11, you come to the conclusion that faith is always lodged in God's word. It's what he said. It is not human speculation. It is not untethered desire. It is not what we want. Um, let me say it another way. Faith is a response to what God initiates. H hear me on this. Uh, there's been some crazy teaching on faith throughout the years. Faith is the response to what God initiates. Either circumstantial, you get a bad report, all of a sudden you find out you have cancer or you've got something else or there's this challenge in front of you. God has allowed that. He has now put you in a situation where you must choose either faith over fear. It's initiated by God. There's this idea that is dropped in your heart, in your spirit. And you, wherever you turn, it just, you, you feel like you ought to do this and you check with the scriptures. It's affirmed by that. You bounce it off other godly people, and there's a sense of affirmation. So God initiates our faith. Faith is not a collection of good ideas that we want God to do. 
It's not a to-do list that we give to him. Faith really is in response, biblical faith. Biblical faith is always in response to what God initiates. I wish we would learn that. And so it is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The word hope here, obviously, is not about speculation. It's about a confident thing here that's dropped in me, that this is what I'm believing God for. Faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that he will stand. He will stand. And whatever God places on your heart to do that's been confirmed by his word, you treat it as a reality. It is, it is, it is more than a wish list. It's what I'm directing myself toward. Unseen conviction of things unseen. This faith is, is inwardly convinced that what God promised he will perform. You see, this is the reason why it's attached to God's word and not to my speculation. Because it's what, it is what God promised he will perform. He's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And so if you're believing God for something and you believe it comes from God, don't, don't be tentative about it. You're convinced of it. This is the lesson God was teaching Abraham his entire life. His entire life. You know, it's funny. We, we, we now look at Abraham, and he's called most theologians, and you read Bible study books and this kind of subtext, Abraham, the man of faith. And the Bible calls him a man of faith. But he, did, he wasn't always a man of faith. He became a man of faith. God had clearly spoken to him. But Abraham had a hard time believing God. I mean, he believed him intellectually, but he could have this hard time lining his heart up with really embracing and believing him. He would edit what God would say. Why? Because he was scared. He was afraid. And so he would edit what God would say. God told him, God told him that, hey, look, listen, Leroy, you and, you, you and your wife, y'all old, okay, and I know, but she's going to have a baby. And Abraham said in so many words, I, I don't want to insult you, God. You're the one that created math and this kind of thing. And you know we old. <laughs> so, and so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, well, you know, that's probably not what he really meant to say. It's probably a little bit of an allegory and figure speech and you can work this thing out. And there's Hagar, she's a lot younger than me, and maybe it means for you to go in there and have to, you know, do with these, and then we have a baby. Don't edit what God tells you. And by the way, because of that, that's the reason why we have all this mess in the Middle East right now. So Abraham had become a man of faith. And God was telling Abraham, Stop editing and, 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 and cutting and pasting what I say. Now take your son Isaac, your only son whom you love, and kill him. At that point, he passed the test. Obviously, Isaac didn't die. And so this is the portrait. This is what this verse is anchored in because later on, Abraham's one of the snapshots. All the others are, are snapshots of this. If you're going to believe me, Crawford, believe me. 
Don't treat what I tell you to do as if it's negotiable. I used to believe that the opposite of faith was not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Doubt is a manifestation, more often than not, of fear. We, 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 we get fearful because faith is always, always takes us into the darkness. Faith always places us in the context of an adversity that's larger than our resources to manage. And so faith, faith will always force us to deal with our fears. Are you going to see through that to a God that's larger and bigger than what's facing you? Or are you going to allow the gap to cause you to push the rewind button and settle for a comfortable disobedience? And by the way, justified by saying that that's wisdom. So the opposite of faith is fear. Now, down here in verse 3 is the illustration, <laughs> one of the great illustrations that the writer of Hebrews gives to underscore what he said in verse 1. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, now hang in there for a moment. You know, when you read this, you read verses 1 and 2, you get to verse 3, you say, what? How does that connect? But measure the words again. Let me read the verse again. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith makes visible what others can't see, but it says something more. What he's pointing to is the unquestioned power of God. It's like he's saying, do know who you're placing your faith in. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, with a message titled Faith. It's so important to understand Crawford's statement at the beginning of this message. He said there's absolutely, categorically no movement in the Christian life apart from the exercise of faith. Well, we'll get to the second part of this message next week. If you joined us late in our program, hear the entire message on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or on your favorite podcast site. You can also download many of Crawford's messages for free on our website. might be a great support reference for a Bible study or discussion group. Look for the MP3 link at livingalegacy.org. We're so grateful when you get in touch with us. Here's a recent email from John. He writes, I don't often write reviews on podcasts. However, I realized it would be wrong of me not to say a word of thanks to Crawford and Moody Radio for your podcasts over these past few years. I returned to the UK after 10 years serving God in Africa. The years transitioning back have been hard. During lockdown, when our churches were closed, I remembered the encouragement Crawford gave during a spiritual life conference while in Africa. I started listening to Living a Legacy since then. This radio ministry has been both a source of comfort and challenging light over many tough months. I greatly appreciate your words, even though they're now spoken post-retirement. I never got to say thank you for your consistent, edifying teaching. John, thank you so much for getting in touch with us. We're grateful to hear how Crawford's teaching filled a gap in your transition from the mission field. Well, have you been a longtime listener? Let us know. Your emails assure us that this teaching ministry is a needed part of this station's broadcast schedule. 
Here's our address, legacyatmoody.edu, legacyatmoody.edu. Thank you so much. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for studying with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.